I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to this Tuesday episode of Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. So pleased that you'd choose to join us here on this radio station at this hour to hear some of the highlights and some of my observations I made last night as I watched, uh, maybe with you as well, uh, watched the Republicans get together and, uh, you know, via video presentation deliver night one of their convention. The president has uh, been nominated. The ballots have been cast. Yesterday we went through uh, those details, those 40 uh, proxy votes were cast by leader of the Utah delegation, Mike Lee. He gave a speech. He spoke about some of Utah's history and uh, some of the quirks that make Utah so unique. All of that in the lead up to uh, casting of those proxy ballots, which, as I described yesterday, is really the, the only official uh, thing, the only official uh, task that must be completed. And it's the, the casting of those ballots. Everything uh, which took place late last night and will proceed over the next few nights is really just a pitch. Uh, by Republicans as to why uh, Donald Trump deserves four more years in the White House. Last night, I have to tell you, I got fired up. I was inspired. I heard words like freedom and hard work and choice and promise, and those are things that work on me. I like optimism. I like, too, an understanding that our success here as Americans and as individuals and uh, as a nation overall, it is all dependent on hard work. It is all dependent on individual responsibility and liberty and freedom. And those aren't just throwaway words to uh, pepper into a nice political speech. They are real, true principles, and they are real and true principles uh, which I believe in. And I, uh, I expect you uh, do as well. And last night, you heard those themes repeated uh, over and over. Each night of the Republican convention uh, will have a theme to it. Uh, last night, the theme was Land of Promise. And uh, as the night went on and the speeches were delivered, uh, some of them made me chuckle. In fact, the first one I'll share with you here is it's, uh, uh, it's funny. You, you ever watch The Office? Remember that one episode where Dwight, uh, he's receiving some sort of award and he ends up speaking before uh, a room full of uh, other salesmen and someone had like switched the, the, the text of his speech and he ended up uh, delivering this very like authoritarian, uh, uh, impassioned speech where he's rallying these folks to, uh, to, to, to come together and it's just very, very animated and very, uh, very cartoonish. If I can be honest, well, I I saw a little bit of that last night. Yeah, in one of the earlier speakers, you remember uh, Kimberly uh, Guilfoyle? She's currently dating uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, she uh, used to be a contributor on uh, Fox. I think she had her own show, in fact, on Fox News. And uh, here's, a, here's a little fun fact about uh, Kimberly here. She, if you didn't know, in the early 2000s uh, was married to Gavin Newsom. This isn't a gossip show, but I stumbled into this uh, information just a short time ago. I thought it was fascinating. Uh, Gavin Newsom, as you know, governor, Democrat, very Democrat governor of California. 
Yeah, early 2000s, uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle married to uh, the now governor of California. Uh, anyway, I want you to hear uh, her delivery last night. Here's what she had to say towards the end of her speech. Fight for her. President Trump is the leader who will rebuild the promise of America and ensure that every citizen can realize their American dream. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. As she delivered those remarks, uh, her arms were up in the air. Uh, she was very, she, she, it was a physical delivery, uh, more so even than what you just heard right there. And the interesting thing uh, to consider is all of these speeches were, number one, pre-recorded for the most part, and uh, they were delivered for, uh, they were delivered to an empty room. So you can imagine being a fly on the wall watching the delivery of that speech. It's a, a, little, a, a little silly, um, but... Uh, you know, and passion nonetheless, and you can't fault passion. Moving on, I want you to hear uh, from Steve Scalise. You know Steve Scalise. We talked a bit about his background yesterday. He currently a member of Congress from Louisiana. He, uh, when the members of Congress uh, were practicing for the congressional baseball game a number of years ago, uh, a shooter came upon them and opened fire and struck many of the, the people there, including uh, Steve Scalise. And... It was touch and go for a time. It wasn't a certainty that he was going to make it. And, well, uh, here he talks, uh, last night at least, about that experience and specifically the interactions he had with first responders, law enforcement, and the president. Here's Steve Scalise. It's a bit of a longer clip, so bear with me uh, about two minutes, and we'll touch back and talk afterwards. Defund the police. This is personal to me. I wouldn't be here without the bravery and heroism of the men and women in law enforcement who saved my life. President Trump stands with those brave men and women. Joe Biden has embraced the left's insane mission to defund them. There won't be an America to leave to our children and grandchildren without those brave law enforcement officers and first responders. Joe Biden's made a career in Washington for 47 years, promising things he's never delivered. In just three short years, President Trump has delivered huge wins for American families. While Joe Biden made hollow promises when he chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee, Donald Trump took action and delivered criminal justice reform. Joe Biden claims to care about the working man, but millions of good manufacturing jobs were shipped overseas during the Obama-Biden years to countries like China. Donald Trump brought those jobs back. I've seen how deeply President Trump cares about rebuilding our evaporating middle class. President Trump pledged to give the forgotten men and women of America a real shot at the American dream. And again, he delivered the lowest unemployment rate in over 50 years, women creating small businesses at record pace, wages rising, the fastest, by the way, for lowest income levels. What can Joe Biden say to that? What has Joe Biden done in his 47 years in Washington that can compare to that? President Trump has delivered for the hardworking people of this great nation. It's going to take that kind of bold leadership to get us out of this COVID crisis. After President Trump saved lives by shutting down flights from China and Europe, he's now focusing the full weight of the government on a revolutionary plan to cure this virus by cutting red tape and empowering scientists to create a vaccine. This is visionary leadership in action at a time when we can't afford another 47 years of hollow promises. America's been through tough times before, 
who better to lead us out of these times than the president who already built the strongest economy our country has ever seen? Donald Trump did it before. Donald Trump will deliver for us again. God bless you, and God bless these United States of America. I've uh, for a long time admired uh, Steve Scalise. He, when I was a congressional aide in Washington, D.C., I would uh, encounter him from time to time, and I would see him uh, delivering remarks at different events and before different groups. And there are, I will admit, uh, and I am sure that there are many in Congress who are, are there in an exercise of vanity, uh, or they are there in a quest for power. Uh, and the ideals and the ideologies and the parties with which they affiliate are really inconsequential and, and simply uh, tools to a certain end, a, a personally driven end. Steve Scalise isn't one of those types. Uh, he's, he's a true believer. And so as he talks there about uh, law enforcement, as he talks uh, about the strength that he views uh, in you know, the current administration, uh, regardless of whether or not you agree, just know that he, uh, he is a true believer, that he believes what he is saying, and that there isn't any uh, kind of guile or deception being, present, being presented by Steve Scalise. A, a good man. I was pleased to hear him uh, speak yesterday, and I was pleased to see him uh, standing there uh, at attention at the lectern delivering those remarks, just knowing that a few short years ago uh, there uh, was a bullet in him which was threatening his life, uh, and short of that, also threatening his ability to ever walk again. Well, he can, and he did, and from those two feet of his own, he delivered some powerful remarks last night. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we return, uh, I, I was surprised to see someone last night participating in the video presentation, a Utahn. A Utah. No, not, not Burgess Owens. That's tomorrow. Uh, Josh Holt. You know Josh Holt from the Hope and Darkness podcast? He uh, held captive in Venezuela for a number of years. Uh, well, he sits down with President Trump in the Oval Office, and they share some words, and I will share them with you next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back. During night one of the Republican convention last night, as all of the uh, speeches were being delivered and the video presentations were being uh, unfolded. It was it was uh, an interesting su surprise to see uh, the president himself seated in the Oval Office having a conversation uh, with about six individuals. Now, who were those individuals? Each one of them had a, a story to tell, a story specifically stemming from uh, them each being held in captivity uh, in a foreign country. And what was being highlighted by the president, President Trump, was that it was through efforts uh, either by himself uh, or actors within his administration that each one of those uh, six individuals was able to be extricated uh, from the bondage in which they found themselves and returned here to free and American soil. And as soon as I saw that segment uh, uh, coming about and I saw it being explained and I saw uh, that you know, the, the type of people that were there, I thought, oh, my gosh. Do you think? Do you think that we might? Do you think we might see Josh Holt in there? You, you know Josh Holt, right? Uh, there's been a podcast, a KSL production podcast, Hope and Darkness, hosted by the great Becky Bruce, which chronicles the the saga of Josh Holt. He, uh, a Utahn, uh, met a woman online uh, who he proceeded to teach English to and then uh, fell in love with and ultimately went down to Venezuela uh, to, to, to marry this woman. And at some point along the way, he uh, is arrested and held for uh, two years in a Venezuelan prison. And it was uh, uh, quite a tale uh, which led to his release. Well, he was there 
in the Oval Office, shown on video uh, with President Trump uh, just yesterday. I want you to hear the exchange uh, between the president, uh, Josh Holt, and also his wife, all unfolded during night one of the Republican convention as it aired on television and across the world uh, just last night. Here's President Trump and Josh Holt. Yeah, my name is Josh Holt. This is my wife, Tammy. Yes. Uh, we were held hostage in Venezuela for two years. I know very well. <laughs> um, and you, you helped us get out. Uh, Senator Hatch worked with you very well on that as well. Um, and it was a, a great honor to be able to meet you right when we got back. And I remember a lot of people asking, what was it like meeting President Trump? And I just said, I was, I was blown away. I just gotten released after two years. Then I'm shaking the hand of the president in the Oval Office. So I don't really remember a whole lot of it. So it's nice to meet you again. And uh, it's been great. It's been great to be back helping people through situations that they've gone through. And now we have to start our family. Well, the great people of Utah really wanted me to do something about the two of you. And we were able to do it. And a little bit of a miracle, I think, frankly. It was. Because it was a very hostile period. And uh, we appreciate everybody working so hard with us. But we were able to get you both back. And are you living in Utah now, I yep. hope? We're still living in Utah. That's good. We'll say hello to the folks in Utah, because they're great people. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Thank you. Please. I'm Brian there. Spent an unexpected trip there in India. I was not going to India. I was going through India to Nepal. Yeah. I've been working for the last eight years. We'll bring that down. So you heard Josh Holt there uh, describe his, uh, his experience there briefly. And a pretty neat thing. A pretty neat thing to see a Utah there uh, alongside the president sharing, uh, sharing the story. All right. Uh, so that was interesting. And then as the, the speeches continued, uh, there was a gentleman, a businessman from Florida, uh, whose family had come from Cuba, and uh, there's some inspiring stuff to share there. But I want to jump, jump ahead here to former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Uh, she uh, had uh, some very powerful words to share. And if uh, I'm not too much in the business of like, picking winners and losers uh, in, in, <laughs> in conventions like this, but uh, if anyone were to have stood out, uh, as the adult in the room, the, the powerful voice, uh, the one who delivered a message clearly and uh, in, in a succinct manner, in a professional manner, looking both backwards to history and forward to the future. Uh, I'd have to give that award to, to Nikki Haley last night as she uh, delivered her remarks. Uh, she, she started, she started uh, her remarks asserting that America, in fact, is not a racist country. There's one more important area where our president is right. He knows that political correctness and cancel culture are dangerous and just plain wrong. In much of the Democratic Party, it's now fashionable to say that America is racist. That is a lie. America is not a racist country. This is personal for me. I am the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. They came to America and settled in a small southern town. My father wore a turban. My mother wore a sari. I was a brown girl in a black and white world. We faced discrimination and hardship, but my parents never gave in to grievance and hate. My mom built a successful business. My dad taught 30 years at a historically black college and the people of South Carolina chose me as their first minority and first female governor. She then goes on to acknowledge current events happening in the U.S., specifically within the, within the Black Lives Matter movement. America is a story that's a work in progress. 
Now is the time to build on that progress and make America even freer, fairer, and better for everyone. That's why it's so tragic to see so much of the Democratic Party turning a blind eye towards riots and rage. The American people know we can do better. And of course we value and respect every black life. The black cops who've been shot in the line of duty, they matter. The black small business owners who've watched their life's work go up in flames, they matter. The black kids who've been gunned down on the playground, their lives matter too. And their lives are being ruined and stolen by the violence on our streets. One of the criticisms that I leveled against the Democrats last week, a week ago uh, right now, was that there was uh, an incessant focus on, uh, on what they viewed as the negative uh, aspects of Donald Trump. And I had hoped that as the week progressed that that would lessen, and I had hoped that once the Republicans took to the stage that, they, that there wouldn't be uh, an overabundance of that tactic. Uh, well, last night, uh, Donald Trump Jr., uh, took to the stage. He had uh, a few things to say. I want you to hear this, uh, what he said about uh, Joe Biden. So uh, for the producers back, we're jumping forward here a little bit. Uh, here is uh, Trump Jr. on Joe Biden, uh, as Trump says, being bad for America. Joe Biden is basically the Loch Ness Monster of the swamp. For the past half century, he's been lurking around in there. He sticks his head up every now and then to run for president. Then he disappears and doesn't do much in between. Trump Jr. also had a number of nicknames for, for various folks, including Biden throughout the night. I thought that was an interesting kind of nod to one of his dad's tactics. Uh, just a few moments left here before I have to take a break, but I want you to hear from uh, the last speaker of the evening. This is South Carolina Senator uh, Tim Scott, and he talks uh, – we're going to jump ahead here. He talks about the candidates inviting people to consider their actions. So – I'm going to ask you, the American people, not to simply look at what the candidates say, but to look back at what they've done. This election is about your future, and it is critical to paint a full picture of the records of Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Joe Biden said if a black man didn't vote for him, he wasn't truly black. These conventions and these speeches are important to listen to. They are important uh, when it comes to the monumental decision which is upcoming. And as it was explained to us yesterday by Bruce Huff, the, every election is the most important election. And so when you hear claims that this is the most uh, important election, it is true because it is the one with the most direct impact on our lives. And because that is the case, we must make sure that we make the decision based on knowledge and exposure to the players involved and uh, coming at it from a position of knowledge and information. And so that is my pitch for why uh, you really ought to be paying attention to this convention. And if you missed any of last week, go back and see what the Democrats had to say. Quick break now. Time for some news. When we return, my guest will be Mia Love, former Representative Mia Love. She spoke at the 2012 nominating convention and... We'll speak to her next, see what she thinks about how things are going so far and what advice she might have for Burgess Owens, who will take to the stage himself tomorrow in his quest uh, to secure a seat in Congress. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. The American dream isn't just my story, it isn't just your story, it's our story. 
It's a story of human struggle, standing up and striving for more. Our story has been told for over 200 years with small steps and giant leaps, from a woman on a bus to a man with a dream, from the bravery of the greatest generation to the innovators and entrepreneurs of today, this is our story. This is our America. This is the America we know because we built it. That was Mia Love eight years ago in Tampa, Florida, speaking uh, during the Republican convention. I was very uh, lucky to be there. Uh, I was able to, to hear that speech and see it delivered live uh, uh, and admired uh, the, the, the way she delivered that, uh, the, the strength in her voice and the power of her words. And she joins me now, uh, Representative Mia Love. How are you, ma'am? Highly. It seems like forever ago, right? <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Does, does it seem like a long, long time ago, or is it just a blink of an eye? It just it, it does seem like things have moved so quickly lately and so drastically that it just it does seem like a lifetime ago. Um, it's it's odd to me that it only happened eight years ago, but I have to say that even listening to that brings some tears to my eyes because. I remember how incredibly nervous I was and how I felt like there was this weight on my shoulders um, to represent Utah well and represent our country well. Um, and I was worried from any, everything, about everything, from, you know, hair out of place to heels, <laughs> you know, sinking in on the stage. And then I just remember I felt an absolute calm. And, and I remember saying in my head, okay, Let's do this. You've got a message to, to deliver. And I did it completely from my heart. Just, I mean, everything went away. Teleprompter went away. Words went away. I mean, it just was something that I felt so very strongly about. And I still feel those same, the same way today about our country. Is that the key? Is that the key to a successful convention speech, uh, doing so from the heart, doing so earnestly, uh, setting aside any of the coaching you may have received ahead of time or all the uh, where, where the speechwriters weigh in and they tell you, oh, you, you really ought to emphasize this word and uh, give this dramatic pause here. Does it really boil down to, to what comes from uh, your own mind and your own heart? It's a really interesting story because we actually had um, Boyd Matheson helped me write that speech. And he says, I want to make sure that it's, it, these are your words and it comes from your heart. And he, right before I went on stage, he, uh, he said, so, you know, what Neil Armstrong said, but do you remember the second thing he said? And I said, I don't, nobody talks about the second thing he said. Um, you know, everybody remembers one um, giant leap, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And yeah. he said, the next thing he said was just like drill. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, you've done it. He's like, all I need you to do is go out and deliver it with the most sincerity and, and, um, deliver it from your heart. And then I went out, but I, that wasn't the speech that I was supposed to deliver. The speech I was supposed to deliver was at least a minute, um, well, uh, they had to cut it down to about, they only wanted to give me, uh, I think it was like three minutes. And I had like a, um, a four minute speech and I was trying to figure out how to cut it down. And, um, it, it just happened that Rick Santorum came into the room mm. while I was practicing the speech. And then they told me, and then this guy, and then Boyd said, just tell the speech the way you, you've actually done it. And, um, I went and recited the speech. Rick was much more important than I was, so they left. The the person that was keeping up the time left. Uh -huh. And so I just delivered the speech as from my heart, um, and 
they said, he said to me, well, if you deliver it half as good, no one's going to cut off your mic. So just take as much time as you want. Uh, and so you. it it actually was a completely different speech. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, somebody more important than me came into the room that all of a sudden everyone forgot about me except the person that was there. And he's like, I promise you, no one's going to cut off your mic. Just mm. do what you need to do. So I was, well, I- it was a... It, interesting. <laughs> but based on your experience and your knowledge over the past eight years, as you saw the, the presentations last night during night one of the convention, uh, what impressions were you left with? Uh, well, you know, I was actually pretty pleased. Um, you know, there was a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of blame going around. There's a lot of Congress not doing anything. Um, there's a lot. Of, there are a lot of people that are really tired of the negative message. And I have to tell you, the person that struck me the most is my friend um, and former colleague that I keep in touch with on a weekly basis, basis, and that's Senator Tim Scott. And it resonated to me because, you know, he's the Amer- people think about the American dream and they think about this vision of getting rich or they think about having these things. And for my family and a lot of families in America, especially and his, and his family, it was as simple as another generation learning how to read. He talked about from from cotton to Congress. Such an know? amazing and, line and in one lifetime. It was it. It was amazing because you can relate to that. And I think most families can relate to that. Look, we're not looking for for gold and riches. What we're looking for is a chance to become as extraordinary as possible. And I am so grateful that we have people like Tim Scott there still, and we we have people that follow a platform and a principle that we know as a party we're not going to we're not going to lose our hearts. And so I, I it was really um, I was really impressed and and struck by that speech. And it touched me even though I wasn't there and it was remote right. but it still um struck a chord with me yeah you, you'll appreciate this i was uh, i was out jogging last night when i listened to uh, to tim scott's remarks and i know it's hard to uh, it's hard for the the spoken word to be a real motivator when you're exercising uh but as yeah, i was yeah. jogging along last night uh and he was going through uh, his own accomplishments uh, his own worldview and then the history of his own family uh i, I felt a little bit of, a little bit of motivation there it was an impressive uh, an impressive yeah. delivery uh yeah but, you know and that's that's what that's what a speech like that should do. It, you know, when you're communicating, well, it, it's not speaking at people, and there's a lot of speaking at people these days. Um, you can't turn on the TV and watch an NBA game or watch a commercial and not see um, all of the things that are wrong with the country. Um, it's really nice for him to say, look, we've come a long way. We're not where we were in the 1900s. We're not where we were in the 1800s. Yes, we've got some things to work on, but you know what? We can work on those things together. Think. Let's talk about the accomplishments that we have made and the things that we can do. He talked about police reform, where people would rather turn their backs and allow perfect to be the enemy of a really good win. They prefer the issue versus the solution. And I can't tell you how many times I actually saw that. And the only people that lose in that situation, the doom and gloom, the blame game, are the American people. Yeah. So I hope we see a lot more of that um I, I was i was i was impressed i was really i was really happy with what i saw and i think that he was probably for me one of the one of the better speeches out there 
One last question before you go. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday evening, amongst the various speakers to deliver remarks at the convention, uh, Burgess Owens, Utah's Burgess Owens, who's competing right now to occupy Utah's fourth congressional district seat, uh, he'll be speaking. Uh, presuming he hasn't yet pr- recorded his, his delivery, uh, what advice would you give him ahead of that? I would say, first of all, don't record it. <laughs> Hopefully it's done live. Um, I, I think that there's a lack of connection when you're when you have it recorded and you're reading off of a teleprompter. The other thing I would say is that when you're speaking truth and you're speaking from your heart, um, people will people will connect with that. Um, you know, I think Burgess. I, I'm really looking forward to it, and he's got a unique story to tell. And I am I'm looking for him to make Utah proud too. Um, just speak from the heart, and that's all. That's all we want is somebody who is willing to get out and get things done for Utah and for the American people. So. Mia, Mia Love, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the expertise and the experience you bring to this conversation. I'm a great admirer of yours and grateful for your time. Same here, Lee. I admire you also. And I ran this morning in the heat. So. Oh, very good. Good for you. That's the way. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we return, two things. I want you to hear some of what Tim Scott had to say. I have uh, some clips where he talks about his family, he talks about his own background, and he talks about the future. I want you to hear all of that. I also want to hear from you. So let me throw out the phone number. It's 801-575-TALK. 801-575-8255. Did you have an opportunity to hear from the Republicans last night as they delivered their night one addresses? If so, and if you have some thoughts, I want to hear from you. So please call. Let's chat. 801-575-8255. Tim Scott and your calls next on Live Mike. Welcome back. I am Lee Lonsberry. Uh, great conversation with me. I love there, huh? Not too many people uh, who have spoken at conventions on that scale uh, and to, to, to draw from their expertise and their experience is fascinating, fascinating stuff. And then how about that deal where she was just about to go on stage and had this version and that version of the speech uh, ultimately landing on the one uh, that took a little extra time, not the speech she had planned. And, uh, well, you heard the excerpt from it. I think it went pretty well. I want to talk to you uh, one final segment here about the convention of last night, at least night one of the Republican convention. I I, I lament not being there. My my career over the past number of years has uh, afforded me the, the the opportunity to to attend uh, these types of conventions, not just the Republicans, but also the the Democrats, and to to miss out this year due to this COVID thing, man, it's a, a tough deal. But uh, whatever, uh, we've got the internet, we've got the radio here, we have uh, plenty of access to the goings on at these conventions. And one of the things that happened last night, there was a, a number of speakers. Final speaker of the evening was South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. We're going to get into uh, what he had to say in just a moment. But before we do, let me extend this invitation to you once again. I want to hear from you. Did you have a chance to, to watch last night? What were your takeaways? Did you think it was doom and gloom, as was observed by Mia Love? Uh, I, I came away with it with a, uh, an attitude of uh, self-reliance, self-determination, and uh, liberty and freedom and choice. Those are things uh, that that I would like to see uh, more prevalent in this country. And I, uh, from the speeches delivered last night, heard a lot of optimism in that direction. What about you? As you watched these remarks, as you watched the speakers last night, uh, what were you struck with? So if you wouldn't mind, pick up the phone, give me a call, let's have a conversation about it. 801-575-8255. That's 801 
talk. And uh, while you pick up the phone and dial, why don't you listen to this? This one is uh, Senator Tim Scott uh, from South Carolina. He talked uh, initially as he began his remarks, he talked about job creation, specifically the jobs uh, created during the Trump administration. Here's Tim Scott. President Trump built the most inclusive economy ever. Seven million jobs created pre-COVID-19 and two-thirds of them went to women, African-Americans, and Hispanics. The first new major effort to tackle poverty in a generation, Opportunity Zones. We put hard-earned tax dollars back in people's pockets by cutting their taxes, especially for single-parent households like the one I grew up in, cutting single mothers' taxes 70% on average. President Trump supported these tax cuts for those single moms and other working families and signed these policies into law, and our nation is better off for it. I don't have time right now to go into these opportunity zones uh, or how they came about and how they are working out, but uh, at least from where I sit, a pretty smart uh, invention there, an opportunity zone. It's it's one of these areas, something created within the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Remember that big uh, piece of uh, tax legislation from a few years ago. It's designed to encourage investment in certain lower income areas. If you invest in this area, uh, therefore you may be certain tax advantages. That is the oversimplification of this opportunity zone, which the senator referenced right there. Uh, but it is a good program, and it is, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, already yielding uh, some pretty good results. Senator Scott, he continued and he talked about the candidates, both Trump and Biden, and he invited people to consider not just their words, uh, but their actions. So I'm going to ask you, the American people, not to simply look at what the candidates say, but to look back at what they've done. This election is about your future, and it is critical to paint a full picture of the records of Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Joe Biden said if a black man didn't vote for him, he wasn't truly black. Senator Scott continues uh, along this line talking about Joe Biden's comments on black people. Joe Biden said black people are a monolithic community. It was Joe Biden who said poor kids can be just as smart as white kids. And while his words are one thing, his actions take it to a whole new level. And then he concluded his remarks talking about, again, this is uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. He talked about uh, and wrapped up the night talking about his grandfather's childhood and how it was for him growing up uh, as an African-American. My grandfather's 99th birthday would have been tomorrow. Growing up, he had to cross the street if a white person was coming. He suffered the indignity of being forced out of school as a third grader to pick cotton, and he never learned to read or write. Yet, he lived long enough to see his grandson become the first African-American to be elected to both the United States House and the United States Senate in the history of this country. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. And that's why I believe the next American century 
can be better than the last. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. You set everything else aside. You set aside the context of this being uh, remarks delivered during a convention, a political convention, all of it aimed at encouraging you to support the Republican nominee. Uh, And you look just at that story delivered by Senator Scott, and it is inspiring. And it makes me want to it makes me want to read the Scott biography. I want to I want to learn about that grandfather of his who would have turned 99 years old today. Uh, And I want to uh, hear what it was like for him to go, as described by Senator Scott, from the cotton field to sitting back and seeing a descendant of his representing a portion of America in the United States Congress. I mean, that's the type of stuff that movies get made out of, right? Right? All right. Uh, A few minutes left before we say goodbye. If you want to sneak a comment in, the number, I'll remind you, is 801 575 You're also welcome to send a text message to the Utah Community Credit Union text line. It's 57500. One last thought on the the convention thus far, uh, one quarter of the way through for the Republicans. You know that it is all pageantry, right? Every aspect of what we watch, uh, and that includes last week when it was the Democrats' turn, every every single frame that is delivered uh, in this video way is controlled. And so at every moment, you must be asking yourself, is this a, a sincere presentation of the, the viewpoint of this party, of these individuals? And it's a difficult task, and it's a difficult burden which we bear. But we do ultimately bear the responsibility to, of, of sorting out uh, what is fact, what is fiction, what is theatrics, and what is sincerity. All right? And there are going to be healthy doses of theatrics, both this week uh, as well as what we saw last week. And so how do you do it? How do you do that? How do you sort out uh, what is sincerity and what is theatrics? And I'd have to refer again uh, to the advice given to us here by Senator Scott. It really does come down to actions. Look at your own life. Look at your own ideals. Look at your own, your own views on what is important. And if you can, over the past four years or eight years or whatever uh, span of time you may decide, see a time where you have been either the most comfortable or where your leaders, your elected leaders, have most represented what you think is best for you, your family, and the country, uh, well, then if there are actions, then you might be best served uh, following those actions and supporting those individuals responsible. All right. And that's a true principle for uh, for you, regardless of whether or not you are Republican or Democrat. All right. Because uh, as we have very well learned over the span of the past number of months and throughout the span of uh, of American history, you know, we're not going to agree on this type of stuff. We're not going to agree on anything. And it is up to us uh, to to vote and to make decisions in an informed way. And the best way to do it is to expose ourselves uh, most thoroughly uh, to uh, 
the facts into these conventions and to do our homework afterwards. There's a lot of work and a lot of responsibility that goes into casting a vote. It is a heavy burden and responsibility that we bear as Americans. Uh, and come November, uh, it's time to put that to the test. And uh, that's the last thing I'll say on that. We're going to take a break now. And then I do want to talk to you for a bit about the Bill of Rights. We're going to kind of compare and contrast two amendments, the first and the second. Here in Utah, there are those who are seeing the First Amendment and the Second Amendment at odds with one another. What am I talking about? Well, protesters. Protesters, protesters. Up next, we're going to look at where they feel their rights are being either stepped on or defended. That's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.